What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. And if you listened last time and remember correctly, we are going to be finishing up a part two of that episode, which is about how it's always the husband, allegedly. And that in the first episode, we covered Melinda Davis and Crystal Rogers. And this one, we're going to be doing Jennifer Dulos and Suzanne Morphew. So basically, all women that are missing or dead and pretty much everyone thinks their husbands or partners were involved but just can't quite get there all the way so we're just gonna jump right into it and we're gonna start this episode with the disappearance of jennifer dulos it's new canaan connecticut the town in fairfield county is one of the wealthiest in america it's a very affluent community also, and it's not an area that sees a lot of crime. Not anything like this, not even close. You have estranged spouses, a bitter divorce, you have a girlfriend, you have people trying to cover up and massage the facts after the event occurs. It all started the morning of May 24th, 2019. Jennifer Dulos, a 50-year-old mother of five, drops off her kids at school and vanishes. She would never not be there for her children. Fears confirmed that night when police discovered Jennifer's abandoned SUV at a nearby park and traces of blood back at her garage. Okay, so for Jennifer Dulos, I am actually not that I live in like the same area, but I'm pretty close to the area, so I have some local gossip. Just kidding, I don't. But I do live near here, and to be honest, I am not rich enough to breathe the same air as the people who live in this area. It is a very wealthy area, New Canaan, Connecticut, and um, Farmington. Very well off, big houses, long driveways, big properties. But if you guys remember, Jennifer Dulos went missing in Connecticut on May 24th, 2019. She was 50 years old at the time of her disappearance. Authorities suspect that she was killed in a violent attack at her home in New Canaan, Connecticut. And it's believed that her husband, Fotis Dulos, and his girlfriend at the time, Michelle Traconis, were involved in her disappearance. Um, you guys probably heard of this one because I think it made national news, especially towards the end. But some background on Jennifer and Fotis is that Jennifer was born in New York City to her parents, Gloria and Hilliard. Um, she had an older sister named Melissa, and her maternal aunt is Elizabeth Claiborne. If that sounds familiar to you, she founded the fashion brand Liz Claiborne. So, like I said before, her family, well off. Um, she graduated from Brown University and went on to earn her master's degree in writing. She was a stay-at-home mother, but she was also a writer for Patch.com, and she ran her own blog. And for Fotis, he was born in Turkey, but grew up in Athens, Greece. He moved to the United States in 1986, where he graduated from Brown University and later earned his MBA in finance from Columbia Business School. In June 2000, he was married to a woman named Hilary Aldama, and they were married for four years, but divorced in July 2004. In 2004, Julius founded Four Group Inc., and that is a luxury home developer company, so he built luxury houses. So while Fotis was still married to his first wife, he began emailing with Jennifer, who he met at Brown University. Shortly after his divorce in August 2004, Jennifer and Fotis got married in Manhattan and moved to Farmington, Connecticut. There they had five children together, which includes two sets of twins. 
seems like their marriage kind of started falling apart. Um, like we said, she had a blog that will link. I think it's still up, so you guys could check out some of the things she wrote. But on March 12th, 2012, she wrote, I wish I was a strong person and that confrontation did not both scare and appall me. Fotis and Jennifer lived a life many people only dream of. They called a multi-million dollar mansion in Farmington home. Fotis was a luxury home builder. Jennifer, an avid writer who graduated with honors from Brown University in Rhode Island and a master's in writing from NYU. She would often blog about the ups and downs of motherhood, constantly on the go, keeping their young kids occupied while her husband worked. For years, they may have been the family they looked like in those pictures. Fotis later admitted their relationship was far from perfect when he was asked about it just weeks after Jennifer disappeared. I had my differences with Jennifer, like many people do when they go through a marriage. It didn't work out for us, but that doesn't mean that I wish her ill in any way. So after the slow breakdown of their marriage, Jennifer filed for divorce on June 20th, 2017, stating that Fotis was living an increasingly independent life and that he was having an affair with another woman who is believed to be Michelle Traconis. In the same month, she started renting a house in New Canaan, Connecticut, about 70 miles southwest of Farmington, and moved there with her five children. In the divorce document, she wrote, I know the filing for a divorce and filing this motion will enrage him. I know he will retaliate by trying to harm me in some way. The family's babysitter would later reveal to police she'd witnessed many disturbing fights between the couple. In 2017, she heard something outside, only to find Jennifer Dulos crying in the driveway. She says Jennifer told her that Fotis had tried to run her over. Later that summer, the babysitter told investigators she saw Fotis chasing his wife through the house. Jennifer locked herself in the bedroom with the babysitter, who says Fotis was repeatedly pounding on the door trying to get in until he realized she was in there with Jennifer. She also alleged that Fotis had threatened to kidnap their children if she did not agree to his terms in the divorce settlement. She also mentioned being worried about the receipt for a gun box she found the day after she says she refused to sign a living agreement to allow Fotis' girlfriend and her daughter to move into their home. Fotis had already admitted his affair, that was no secret, but Jennifer Dulos was concerned because of how she said her husband had been acting over the past few months. Irrational, threatening, aggressive, enraged. All words Jennifer used to describe the man she had been married to for nearly 13 years. He has the attitude that he must always win at all costs. He is dangerous and ruthless when he believes that he has been wronged. Despite Jennifer requesting an emergency order of custody, they were given temporary joint custody of their children until the end of the divorce proceedings. But in January 2018, Jennifer requested an emergency order of custody again, and in March, the judge granted it due to photos breaking numerous court orders. The judge ruled that Jennifer will have sole custody of the children, and both parents would share joint legal custody. Otis was granted supervised visitation and monitored phone calls. My motive has been for the past two years to move on with my life. I, um, I have five beautiful children. Uh, I had Michelle, and I had a, a profession that I loved. So in February 2018, after Jennifer's father had passed away, Gloria Farber, her mother, sued Fotis for unpaid loans. And she claimed that Fotis owed them $1.7 million owned to him by his father-in-law. But Fotis said that his in-laws actually owed him more than a million dollars for unpaid work. He said 
At some point, I gave him a blank check. That was the level of trust we had. It was a family business, in essence, and we were family. So then Fotis proceeded to file a lawsuit against them in December 2018. So as you can see, this is kind of a big mess of they're all suing each other. They did what seems kind of like shady business deals, building houses, real estate, loans. It seems like a tangled mess altogether. And especially with all this, the disappearance and all that, it's kind of made it all even worse. Her disappearance. She was last seen around 8 a.m. on May 24th, 2019, when she dropped her children off at New Canaan Country School and then at 8.05 a.m. on a neighbor's security camera when she returned home. That same day, she missed two doctor's appointments that she had scheduled for 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. in the city. Later that evening, around 7 p.m., two of her friends and her children's nanny reported her missing after they failed to get in contact with her. Family and friends of Jennifer stated that it would be out of character for her to leave her home on her own without telling anyone. Lauren Al-Mieda, children's nanny, she arrived at the house at 11.30 a.m. that day. She told detectives she was surprised to see Jennifer's Range Rover in the garage because she had planned to take it to her doctor's appointments instead of her Chevy Suburban, which was nowhere to be seen. But when she went inside, that's when she told police things weren't quite right. Jennifer's purse was on the floor. There was an unopened granola bar, a mug of tea on the kitchen counter. When that babysitter went to refill the paper towels, she noticed there were only two new rolls left. She told police she was confused because according to police, the babysitter had stocked up on paper towels the night before. I sat there and wondered what happened last night that they used 10 rolls, the babysitter would later tell police. Um, Detectives arrived at the house and found blood spatter in the garage on the floor, a door, the wall, and on the exterior of the Range Rover that was still parked in the garage. Blood was also found in the kitchen on a faucet, I believe, around the sink. DNA tests revealed most of the blood to be Jennifer's, apart from the blood on the kitchen faucet, which was a mixture belonging to both Jennifer and Fotis. Police also found other evidence of Jennifer being the victim of a serious assault, which they never elaborated on. Jennifer's black Chevy Suburban had been captured on neighbor's security camera, leaving her home at around 10.25 a.m. that morning. So it's believed Fotis was the one driving Jennifer's body and items that he used to clean up this crime in the vehicle. Which is weird because later they say that they believe that he used an employee's truck also. So maybe he's just using multiple vehicles. Whatever he can find. Yeah, they did find the Suburban somewhere else eventually. So he did drive it at some point. Same evening, around 7.30 p.m., Fotis and his girlfriend, Michelle Traconis, were captured on video dumping garbage bags and 30 different bins in Hartford, Connecticut. The trash bags were found to contain various pieces of bloodied clothing, as well as blood-stained cleaning items. Blood was determined to be Jennifer's, and Fotis's DNA was found on the inside of a glove in one of the trash bags on, and on some of the trash bags. Jennifer's Suburban was then later found on the side of the road near Wavenly Park in New Canaan, which is just over three miles away from her house. At the time Jennifer went missing, she and her husband were still engaged in a pretty rough divorce and custody battle, so there was a lot of bad blood between them. Police searched numerous properties around Farmington near Fotis's home and in Fairfield County near Jennifer's home without any success. Um, and just as a reminder, Fotis does have like a luxury house building company. So they were searching properties of houses he was building, properties of houses he had built. And just there's a lot of places that they could search. Anywhere for that he'd laid concrete recently. Yeah. 
So investigators believe that Fotis drove truck used by one of his construction employees to New Canaan on May 24th to lay in wait for Jennifer after she returned home from dropping the kids off at school. And they believe that he attacked her in the garage and put her body in the truck and drove away. So that's what I was saying before about says they clearly he drove the Chevy at some point because it was somewhere else, but he also had this truck because they find evidence in this truck also. So like you were saying before, it kind of seems or the last episode seems like it was not really planned ahead of time and yeah <clears throat> so that photo seems very arrogant um and cocky so maybe he just smug he just get, yeah smug he just thought he could get away with it you know he, he didn't really did. need to plan i think i think in this case he planned well he obviously planned what he's going to do but i don't think he planned it very well yeah i'm like yeah he's a dick yeah <laughs> um <laughs> to put it simply <laughs> So, according to one of the arrest warrants that came out, Fotis had the employee's truck washed and detailed without telling the employee and pressured the employee to change the seats in the truck. Police later found Jennifer's DNA in the truck also. So, helicopters were used to look for signs of Jennifer as well as canine units on the grounds and divers used to search local ponds. Um, there's been no activity on her credit cards, no calls made from her cell phone to this day. Watch as detectives sift through this new Canaan pond. They have it sectioned off in grids, searching for any sign of this 50-year-old mother of five, Jennifer Dulos. There were dog handlers all over the place and a lot of dogs going through the woods. A lot of emergency um, police vehicles actually all over there. You couldn't get over there. So as far as arrests for 2019, on June 1st, 2019, Fotis and Michelle were arrested at a local hotel in Avon, Connecticut, and they were charged with tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution. Not enough evidence existed at the time to warrant any more severe charges. So this has to do with them cleaning up the mess and throwing away evidence all over town. The Doulos' five children were at the time aged between 8 and 13. They moved to live with Jennifer's mother in New York City, to whom the judge granted temporary custody. That's a lot. Like, I know, I know that, you know, as a, as a family member, you'd step up. But for an elderly woman to now have, have custody of five children, that's a lot. Young children, too. Yeah. I know they have money. They could probably get a nanny and all that. But it's still a lot. Yeah. And I remember seeing that she even, like, hired, like, security guards for them. Yeah. So so at this time, Fotis hired an attorney, Norm Pattis, to represent him. And in an interview prior to being hired by Fotis, Pattis had appeared to be convinced that Jennifer was dead. I guess he made a statement somewhere. Um, so at this point, Fotis and Michelle both pled not guilty to the evidence tampering charges. But in September 2019, they were both arrested again for tampering with evidence. I guess they found more things that they tampered with and could charge them with. According to that arrest warrant, police asked Michelle why she thought Fotis had the truck cleaned, the employee's truck. And she said, well, obviously all the evidence says because you showed me in the picture of the blood on the door, it's because the body of Jennifer at some point was in there. Michelle isn't suspected of being involved in the killing because they were able to verify an alibi for her the morning that they think it happened. But she was clearly involved in involved. cleaning up yeah. the mess because she's on camera throwing away things. So photos appeared in court on October 4th, 2019 to see a dismissal of the charges against him. The judge said he would review arguments by the defense and prosecution. 
And in late October, it was reported that Michelle, along with her 10-year-old daughter, had moved out of the $5 million home in Farmington, Connecticut, that they had been living in with Fotis. Seems like they finally told him to fuck off. (laughs) This brings us to 2020. On January 7, 2020, Fotis was arrested at his home by Connecticut State Police and charged with capital murder, murder and kidnapping in relation to the disappearance of Jennifer. His former girlfriend, Michelle, was also arrested in charge with conspiracy to commit murder. By about 11 o'clock, we started seeing some activity here at the home. His attorney, Norm Pattis, did show up parking at his Jefferson Crossing home driveway. And then shortly after that, we saw a number of state police cars pulling in here. Now, they've been here for probably about 20 minutes now. And you can actually see them live on our air right now. You could see one, two, three, four, five state police cars leaving from the scene. Photos Dulos in this car right here. We're going to pan right now leaving in state police custody live on our air. Right now, you can see state police are leaving the Jefferson Crossing home. His attorney, Norm Pattis, is trailing state police. He's actually going to be coming up right now as this tail car leaving. Now, again, just to kind of reiterate exactly what we've been talking about here live on our air in this live cut in. It actually looks like Norm Pattis might be coming to us live. We're going to come here not live. We have no- Norm Pattis is here live. Right. We have him live here. Norm, kind of tell me what's, what's going happening? on. Um, I haven't seen the warrant yet, but it's my understanding that Mr. Dulos was just arrested and charged with the crime of murder as to his wife, Jennifer Dulos. It's my understanding that there will be arrests, um, that arrests are simultaneously yeah. taking place and that two mo- other individuals are being arrested. What, when did you find out about this and when did you hear about this? Um, rumor flies, as the ancient Roman poet once put it, and rumors have been afoot for weeks. We began to hear well-placed rumors this morning, and those rumors seemed credible enough for me to get in the car and come down, and then I learned about 10 minutes um, ten minutes uh, from the house here that police were en route, so I beat him here by 10 minutes. Can I have a moment? What? And then in another weird twist, Fotis's friend and a former attorney, Kent Douglas Mahoney, was also detained on January 7th and charged with conspiracy to commit murder. So I remember at the time when this was all happening, it just came out of left field when they were like, and this other random attorney friend was arrested. <laughs> You're like, what? Well, these people were willing to go down with Fotis, it seems. It's crazy. It seems like he was just a schemy guy who had yeah. schemy scumbag friends, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, so despite these arrests, the body of Jennifer was still not found. And following the arrest court documents released, highlighted the backgrounds of Fotis, um, Kent Mahoney, and their weird scumbag friendship. <laughs> so one thing that came out was Kent became estranged from his wife after being accused of spousal rape. Um, his wife went to South Windsor Police and told authorities that she feared Fotis and Mahoney were working together to kill her. So, not really a good look. After Jennifer disappeared, a shallow grave was discovered at a secluded property that Kent Mahoney owned, and it was filled with two bags of lime and a blue tarp, which is obviously pretty suspicious. Yeah. Authorities and police dogs discovered the grave in 2019 of August, but no body was found in the grave, and said items were found to have been removed. Jennifer's family issued a statement after the arrest. Although we are relieved that the wait for these charges is over, for us there is no sense of closure. Nothing can bring Jennifer back. We miss her every day and will forever mourn her loss. 
January 8th, Fotis's bond was set at $6 million, which he paid and was released the following day, and was due to return to court on February 28th, 2020. In a statement issued in May 2020, Michelle said it was a, quote, mistake to have trusted Fotis. However, she still maintained that she does not know what happened to Jennifer or of her whereabouts. Michelle was out on bail, and she was scheduled to appear in court August 6, 2020, to face charges, and Kent Mahaney is being held in lieu of $2 million bond and is scheduled to appear in court on September 3rd, 2020. So this brings us to just a little bit later, January 28th, 2020. Um, while Fotos is out on bond, he was scheduled for an emergency bond hearing. But he was found in an unresponsive state by police at his $5 million home in Farmington, Connecticut. After intentionally poisoning himself with carbon monoxide by running a vacuum cleaner hose from his exhaust pipe of his SUV into the interior of his car while it was parked in the garage. Just cut your breath, yeah. everybody good? I just want to get some notes out here if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, good afternoon. We understand you guys want information, but this investigation is very preliminary at this point and there's only so much that we can release, okay? Today at about 11.54 hours this morning, officers from the Farmington Police Department were asked to respond to Mr. Dulos' residence for a well-being check because he was late for a court appearance today. When officers responded, um, they could see through a window that Mr. Dulos was sitting in his vehicle and he had obvious signs of medical distress. Officers forced entry and immediately began to perform life-saving measures. Um, medics responded from the East Farmington Fire Department, Yukon Health, and AMR Ambulance to assist with those uh, life-saving measures. Mr. Dulos was uh, transported to Yukon Health um, by ambulance where he is now listed as critical condition. Just as like a little aside to all this. The, Fun aside. The, <laughs> where he did it. The house is unbelievable. It is the most beautiful looking house. It's like you can look up online. If you just type in Jennifer Julos house sale, it'll come up in Google. But it's got photos everywhere. They've just listed it up for sale. Well, last, like late last year they listed it for sale. I don't think it's sold yet. But you can get an idea of the kind of grandeur that they were living in. It's an amazing, amazing house. Um, you know, I tried to yeah. find... A photo of the garage where he did it because I'm morbid like that but I know it's um, not in there <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it has sold before in the past you know four and five million dollars and they've listed it for 1.75 it's an absolute steal really <laughs> anyway it's an amazing house just if you want to have a look and you can see where they were living at the time it's all online that's like I was saying before that's just that area they're all massive houses with Big properties, secluded. It's yeah, very wealthy area, but the house is worth checking out. Yeah. Um. So back to Fotis killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, it was reported by some news outlets um, that Fotis was found dead, but first responders said that they were able to do CPR and get a faint pulse. And I remember this happening because first some people some news reports were like photos duelist is dead and you're like yeah. no they kept some places at, like they no he's still alive and then you're like jumping Yay. the gun <laughs> yeah and just went back and forth back and forth but it seems like he was basically dead and they tried dead. to revive him and they transported him by ambulance to yukon medical center in farmington connecticut and from there he was airlifted to jacoby medical center in the bronx 
to undergo a hyperbaric oxygen treatment. Um, his five children were able to visit him at the medical center. These poor kids again, like mm. five children were able to visit him at the medical center before he was taken off life support. This marked the first time that they'd seen their father since he was accused of murdering their mother. That's a, um, like, that would have been a big thing for her family to allow that. I would think like, you know, they wouldn't have wanted the children to go yeah. to see him, but I guess it's the right thing if they knew he was going to die and he's still their yeah. father, you know. I'm assuming they probably told him he was brain dead at this point. Yeah. Um, Fotis was pronounced dead at Kobe Medical Center on January 30th, 2020. He did leave a suicide note in the car that read, this is the most fucking smug thing <laughs> I've ever seen. The note read, I refuse to spend even an hour more in jail for something I had nothing to do with. Nothing is capitalized. <laughs> smug to <Dick>. the end. <laughs> Very on brand for him. Yeah. And uh, here's what defense attorney Norm Pattis had to say in its entirety. Fotis Dulles was declared dead tonight at 5.32. He, his family came in from Greece and decided today to donate his organs so that he will live on in some form in the assistance that he can provide to others in their own individual struggles. The family is adamant that his name be cleared. As we are speaking, we have filed an unusual motion in the Connecticut courts asking to substitute an estate for Fotis Dulos for him as a defendant to force the state to show its hand in a trial filled with evidence we think that amounts to no more than innuendo and unsupported suspicion. So if you check the court pleadings, you'll see a motion to substitute the estate of Fotis Dulos for Mr. Dulos. It'll be a difficult challenge to persuade the state of Connecticut to go forward with a trial in the absence of a defendant, but having maligned the man for all time from coast to coast, and if not there, around the world, we're asking for the right to clear his name. We intend to proceed on as if he were alive to vindicate him because we think he's wrongfully accused and we'll be seeking the discovery that we were supposed to get just the other day, supposed to begin getting just the other day. So in the police report, it states that Fotis's new girlfriend, he has a new girlfriend now already. Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to date him? Like, oh, you can't uh, be bothered. Like, if you've got all this stuff going on, do you really need another girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's... This, it's just like so many red flags that he's a clear fucking psychopath. Yeah, yeah. Um, so his new girlfriend, Anna Curry, was at his house the morning of his suicide. They planned to drive to the courthouse together, but Fotis said that they should drive separately. On the way to the courthouse, Anna received a call from Fotis's attorney asking where his client was. She told him that they were driving separately, but the lawyer informed her that Fotis's GPS tracker showed that he was still at home, at which point Anna said she knew something was wrong and told the lawyer to call 911. So that brings us to this year, because nothing has really happened in the past year. Um, so there was a little bit of a, maybe some action happening. Um, January 19th of this year, Connecticut State Police visited a property on Mountain Spring Road in Farmington, which was once owned by Fotis, Dulos's Four Group, Inc., State police said that they were at the property to follow up on old leads. Several authorities could be seen behind the property digging up the yard. Police also brought in Bob Perry, who is nationally known as the Bone Finder. Among state police, Robert Perry, known nationally as the Bone Finder. Perry uses a ground-penetrating radar to search for disturbed soil and anomalies beneath the ground. 
Perry says he was searching the property previously owned by Photos Dulos Ford Group Company outside and inside for possible remains of Jennifer Dulos. Perry says he located four areas outside of the home for possible disturbance. I check for anomalies that are in the ground and or ground disturbance. And uh, so there's four areas that I checked that was that had ground disturbance in it. I was looking for some sort of indication like a skull or, or something like some bones or something like that. And that would give off a, a, a little a hyper, you know, hyperbolus on the on the on the on the scan. And I saw nothing there at all. Unsuccessful outside the house, Perry, along with state police, made their way to the basement. We then went into the house. There was an anomaly in the ground about 18 inches down and the anomaly was elongated and uh, it looked like uh, you know it could have been a it could have been a grave or it could have been a bur you know, burial site or something along that line but i think pretty much it was a, a pipe that was in the ground state police say they were at the home following old leads nearly a year and a half after jennifer's disappearance the next day police once again returned to the property in mountain spring road in farmington an excavator and septic tank was brought in and seen behind the former doulis owned property Police briefly spoke with the media, but said they did not have any updates. So, I mean, they could have found stuff and just not, not saying anything yet, or maybe it was nothing. The latest thing actually came out this month, March. Um, just more legal stuff, um, kind of similar to what we were talking about in the last episode, well, two episodes ago with Alan and Jake. Is that his name? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With yeah, Alan yeah, yeah. and Jake. They wanted, it's kind of confusing because it has to do with the declaring dead and assets of Fotis's estate, but is Jennifer dead or alive? What does she get? So it seems like Fotis's estate wanted Jennifer to be declared dead or wanted to know what was happening with an IRA account that had $194,000 in it because they wanted to use it to pay off some debts of his. Um, her family, it seems like, didn't want to go through with that or to fight for it. They didn't care. Like I said, they're well off, so it's probably not anything big to them and just not worth the drama. So they waived their rights to this IRA account and some of the things Fotis had. And they, to do that, they didn't have to have Jennifer declared dead legally by a court. And that is the latest. Unfortunately, this is another one where it's like, you feel so close to the answer and there's so much evidence and not evidence at the same time. And as far as we know, they still haven't found her body or anything like that. Um, so I was just looking to make sure that nothing else had happened since we did this, but there's been a little bit of an update with Michelle Traconis. Um, she was due to appear in court, it says, on March 16, which I can't find anything about that if she did. So it seems like Michelle and Kent have both been made to wear GPS tracking devices because they're out on bail or bond or whatever you guys mm -hmm. call it. Um, so her attorney is trying to get it removed. It says that he's considering federal court intervention if his appeal fails at state level. So then the other little update is that in February, Michelle spoke to detectives and said that she would help them look for Jennifer's remains. She said, I can spend a month with you guys. I can do whatever you want, but I didn't do it. So it sounds like there's a lot of back and forth still going on about if her case will go to trial. And it says that Kent will likely testify if the, against her, against Michelle, if the case does go to trial. So it seems like there's still a lot of just back and forth and not much actually really happening in terms of legal things in regards to this case, but it is still in the pipeline. 
seems like a lot of sh- shitty people backstabbing yeah. each other and trying to cover their own asses. M- Michelle's lawyer has asked that the trial also be moved because, you know, obviously if they held, hold it in the area where this all happened, it might be a bit biased according to him. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Sometimes, sometimes not that I feel bad for Michelle, but I wonder, like, did she just get in over her head with something? Yeah, like, did Fotis, with Fotis seems like a fucking scumbag and he pulls these girls somehow. Like, did he just he wow her with his money? Manipulative, and, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't care like who it is. Like if my boyfriend now who I love <laughs> came to me and was like, Hey, I just murdered someone. You got to help me drive all over Hartford, Connecticut <laughs> and throw out all these bloody items in garbage bags where everyone's rich and definitely has surveillance cameras and we're yeah. going to get caught on camera. I would still be like a hell fucking no. <laughs> do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Go do it your damn self. You did the murder. You clean it up. <laughs> So, I don't know. Part of me wants to, like, see the good in people and be like, well, maybe she just was manipulated. But then I'm like, bitch, you drove all over Hartford and threw out evidence. Yeah. I feel like he probably preyed on Michelle. Like, you know, obviously I'm not denying that she has guilt in some part of this, but I feel like she was probably just a bit of a doormat to him and would do whatever he wanted. Yeah, especially he seems like a scary, rich, powerful guy. Yeah. I still... I feel like I don't, she must not know where, unless it would be like incriminating herself, even though they said they proved that she had an alibi that morning, maybe she was involved in other ways, like knowing about it beforehand. But I feel like I'm leaning towards she doesn't know exactly what happened. Because at this point, if Fotis is dead, what are you covering for? Like, just blame it all on him. Yeah. But I feel like she maybe she doesn't know. I think it's interesting that his lawyer friend might be involved somehow like what they must have like some sort of communication like the police must have it between the two of them to approve that you wonder what benefit it would have had for the lawyer to get involved like you know i can see michelle just got pulled along with photos but i wonder why the lawyer got involved well because him and photos were also going to kill his wife too that was annoying (laughs) him and they're just going to kill each other's wives i guess they just didn't get to that they didn't get to that bit yet (laughs) yeah it must be like so traumatic for his ex-wife too yeah at least he's in jail oh no he's not in jail but at least he's got a gps monitoring thing so she might feel a little bit safer douchebags all of them Mm. but that brings us to our final missing case maybe murdered most likely by the husband case (laughs) don't come at us it's all out there this is we're just reporting what's out there we didn't make it up but you know (laughs) listen we said allegedly probably whatever maybe whatever we haven't ever said definitely Make your own opinion. <laughs> yeah, if you have another theory on any of these cases about who could be involved, let us know because I don't think there yeah. is really any other theories. Yeah, enlighten us. Yeah. So the last one that we're going to speak about um, in this series is the case of Suzanne Morphew. A massive search for a missing mom was launched today. If you see something, snap a picture of it. Step back. Call me. Hundreds of volunteers gathered near Maysville, Colorado, where 49-year-old Suzanne Morphew vanished on Mother's Day after going for a bike ride on this dirt path. Her brother Andy Mormon said after four months of following the local sheriff's department lead, it was time for him to get boots on the ground and find his younger sister. We're going to divide and conquer. We're looking for torn clothing, human remains, and things of that nature. Suzanne is a 49-year-old woman who went missing from Salida in Colorado in May 2020. So Suzanne lived with Barry, her husband, Barry Morphew, 
and they had two teenage daughters, Mallory and Macy. I'm not entirely sure how old these daughters were, but teenagers. So Suzanne was reported missing by a neighbor on May 10 last year who said that she went for a bike ride and never returned. I've never actually found out why the neighbor thought she went for a bike ride or if Suzanne told her she was planning to go for a bike ride or whatever anyway, but that was kind of the last known movements of Suzanne Morphew. So it's interesting to note that Suzanne's husband, Barry, was not the one who reported her missing. So there's a bit of a red flag straight away. Uh, the, the police released a statement quickly. It says, on May 10, 2020, around 5.45, the Chafee County Communications Centre received a report of a missing female. Members of the Sheriff's Office responded to the area and contacted the reporting party. They advised that their neighbour, Suzanne Morphew, from the Maysville area had reportedly gone for a bike ride and failed to return home. So they started to search for Suzanne immediately. They called in dogs um, and that basically they searched until the early morning hours, but they didn't find Suzanne. They resumed the search the next day on May 11. They scoured the area. They still didn't find Suzanne. They brought in dive teams and they searched the waterways near where she went missing. There's a tweet that I found where basically they've got, you know, divers in the water looking, but still, again, didn't find anything. But they did find Suzanne's bike at the time. Suzanne was not found near the bike and there was no other signs of her in the area at the time. So we got small inkling that this may not just be, you know, someone who went for a bike ride and didn't come back. When the sheriff said on May 17, he spoke to the Chafee County residents and asked them to save any video footage from doorbell cameras, surveillance systems or game cameras from the time frame of May 8 to May 12. So we know that Suzanne was reported missing on May 10. So I think this gives us an idea that maybe they thought that she was missing a day or two before that. Mm. On May 17, her husband, Barry Morphew, posted a video on Facebook pleading for Suzanne to come back or for whoever had her to bring her back. Oh, Suzanne, if anyone is out there that can hear this, that has you, please, we'll do whatever it takes to bring you back. We love you. We miss you. Your girls need you. No questions asked. However much they want, I will do whatever it takes to get you back. Honey, I love you. I want you back so bad. (laughs) He's so cheesy. Anyway. Yeah, that's so fake too. Yeah. In the 10 days to May 20 following her disappearance, the police received approximately 200 tips. They, rece- they released a new press release on May 20 that says, to clarify media reports about the Morphew residents, the house continues to be held by law enforcement during this open investigation through a search warrant that has been sealed to the court. By the court, sorry. According to the police, it's not unusual in these type of investigations to start at the home and extend outward. The Morphew residence is just one of many areas of focus as part of this open investigation at this time. So the search carried on. They didn't find anything. Um, We're at August now, so about three months after she disappeared, and Barry spoke to a reporter at Fox 21. During a 25-minute conversation where I don't think, if I believe right, he didn't want this to be televised or recorded, but he theorised about what had happened to his wife. He mentioned the possibility of an animal attack, an accident, or perhaps that something happened to her on the road or even with a run-in with someone who knows her well. He said he did not want the conversation to be aired and he also implied that he'd been painted negatively during the investigation. 
He said, I'm afraid of what is out there. People don't know the truth, so they're going to think what they're going to think. This is the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me, but I've got to keep my faith and trust in God. And Suzanne trusted the Lord, and if one person gets saved from this, she would think it was worth it. And we are just a godly, loving, caring family, and this thing is just a tragedy. <laughs> the videos what a martyr. Barry, no, the, that's, the videos with Barry remind me of um, – Michael Shaver's wife that we spoke about last time like he does these kind of produced videos with a lake or trees in the background like it's all very um you know Fake. planned it's nothing yeah. candid it's all very planned out exactly what he wants to say and the whole thing's like I'm a good person I believe in God I'm actually <laughs> the victim yeah. this is the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me like not not no word about his me, kids me me nothing about what's happened to his poor wife it's all about him Um, Suzanne's family told the media that Barry had been asked twice to take a polygraph and he declined, but Barry denied this. He said, I've never been asked to do a polygraph. There is nothing that I'm hiding. I've given three, I don't know what it it says, I've given three and then 30 hours of testimony to the FBI and the CBI. I've answered every question, every single question. So (laughs) he's getting mad. (laughs) Um, And in August 2020, he spoke to the media again and criticised the police handling of Suzanne's case. He said the sheriff's department screwed up this whole thing from the beginning and now they're trying to cover it up and blame me. He went on to cite an incident he found troubling, which occurred when deputies found his wife's bike. My buddy was right there after that and he said that they completely destroyed the evidence and he tried to stop them, but they would not listen and and said this is not CSI. There's no evidence for the investigators to see because the sheriff's department completely obliterated it. So I think that he's setting this up, in my view, to be like, you know, this evidence isn't usable because they've destroyed it. So that might be his argument if it ever comes to that. And he also knows people love a conspiracy theory and some people (laughs) run with it. So September 2020, we finally learned a bit more about where Barry was at the time of Suzanne's disappearance. He had been staying at a hotel in Denver, around 150 miles from their home. So Barry was a landscaper. I believe he had a landscaping company and he was in Denver for work. Um, There's an article from the New York Post, which is titled, Husband of Missing Mum Suzanne Morphew Left Hotel Ricking of Chlorine. So this is from that article. It says a co-worker, Jeff Puckett, claims Barry had summoned him to a Holiday Inn in Denver on May 10 where he'd stayed the night before and he left behind a pile of mail as well as an intense smell of chlorine. He, told, he was told that he, Barry needed help, urgent help with landscaping work, so Puckett, Jeff went there. I got there Sunday night and the room smelled like chlorine real bad. It was his room and he'd taken a shower. His towels were all over the floor. So they spoke to a manager at the hotel who said that workers do not use chlorine to clean the rooms um, and that they <laughs> gave security footage from that weekend to the FBI. It says, Jeff said he also discovered a letter about property insurance within a stack of mail inside the room. His mail was in there and I gave it to the FBI. I thought it was kind of odd to have it there. Something, Some of it was from an insurance company, that kind of thing. And he also found no tools inside the hotel room, which is unusual if Barry was you know, meant to be there for landscaping work. Mm-hmm. He then claimed he waited around the hotel for two days for Barry and he never, ever went to the work site. And he returned to Salida two days after Suzanne's disappearance. He has not heard from Barry, who told him that he had to leave due to a family emergency. It's kind of weird, Jeff said. My first thought was this must be like an alibi. That's what it felt like. So that's interesting. Was the family emergency that his wife is missing? Another badly planned, like, you know, I can see that he maybe did this to set up an alibi, but then he didn't do it very well. 
It's like they come up with these shitty plans because they're so smug and narcissistic that they just think they're untouchable. You can get away with it, yeah. Uh, So the reward fund for Suzanne reached 200K in September 2020, and 100K of that came in from Barry Morphew, which is interesting because I guess you don't have to pay out your own reward money. He's going to reward himself. So in late September that year, Suzanne's brother, Andrew Mormon, organized a private search for his sister. It's definitely foul play. I don't think she ever got on a bicycle. I think that was planted evidence. And I'm not about deciding who's guilty or who's not. But I need to bring closure to my family by finding my little sister, and that's what I'm here for. He said that during the search they weren't going to dig, but they had boats and sonar equipment to search search some lakes, as well as drones, search dogs, and other tools. He said, I'm out there to find my sister. I think everyone probably knows what happened. I'm literally just there to search. I need to find her, need to bring her home, give her a proper burial and closure for my family. And that's my point. I'm not about finding someone guilty or trying to inflict punishment on anyone. That's not my job. That's law enforcement's job. So he said that it was sad and he missed Suzanne, who was his little sister, and that his nieces were very worried about what happened to their mother. Um, He also said that Suzanne was a wonderful mother. She attended church every Sunday and had beat lymphoma twice. My entire family has suffered for four months, he said. We've had enough. I've stayed quiet as I was asked to. I bit my tongue for three months. Not doing it anymore. I'm coming out there. So the police um, weren't planning to search at the same time as Andrew, but they said that they would support him and, you know, they would have search and rescue teams on hand. There would be a crime scene team on hand in case they did find anything, but it wasn't an actually police, um, you know, initiated search. Andrew also said at this time that he did not believe Suzanne ever went bike riding. He said the bike was found without damage at the bottom of the hill. Well, when it started off, Phil, we found the bicycle at the bottom of a ravine. And uh, my brother-in-law is a really good hunter and an expert tracker. And he thought that maybe Suzanne had ridden over the side of that, gotten injured, disorientated, and fallen into the river, and or a uh, bobcat had uh, attacked her. Well, I stood on that bank of that road, and I looked down, and I thought to myself, no, that didn't happen. There's no blood trail. And if I had ridden a bike over there, it would have been pretzelized and my knuckles would have been hamburgerized. So no blood, no things of that nature. So I told him, I said, Barry, look, she didn't get taken by a puma. There's no mountain lion involved here. He acted like he didn't want to hear that. But he finally came to the realization that everybody else realized that didn't happen. And he also told Fox 31 Denver at the time that Suzanne had been working with domestic abuse meetings and that he was afraid it was domestic abuse. So this kind of mudslinging went back and forth between Andrew and Barry. Um, Barry kind of retaliated and he told the media that Suzanne and Andrew did not have much of a relationship. He (laughs) brought out some notes that he and Susan had apparently written to each other. I'll put them up on the blog. There's photos of them. There's one that Suzanne apparently wrote. It's on a, like, it's got a embossed piece of paper. The embossing says, you make life sweeter. And she's written, just want you to know my life would be nothing without you, love, your love and the excitement you bring to our marriage and my life. All my love, Suzanne. And then there's another one, like, there's lots. I won't read them all, but I'll just read this last one. Well, also, I don't think he's, well, to be clear, this is in like a Valentine's Day card. It's not like she was just writing these notes either. Yeah. So um, this one says, I remember the first kiss you gave me at my front door. I remember our long talks in the dark on the golf course between the third tee and green. I remember the day you asked me to marry you when you gave me flowers at 
something, wherever they were. I remember the day you held me when I just found out I had cancer and couldn't, you know, it goes on and on and on. So he's he's released these private notes that Suzanne wrote to him. Just to try to prove that they yeah, had this that, amazing that, relationship and, and how lovely he would he never kill her. her. Yeah. So October 2020, Barry put the house he shed with Suzanne in Colorado on the market for $1.75 million. So you can, again, have a look. The listing's up online. It's a beautiful house. It looks kind of in a... Um, like secluded area it's lovely it's very rustic it's all wood and logs and things like that but it's a really nice house he told cbs4 he decided to sell the house because the daughters mallory and macy were too scared to stay there because they believe it was the site of suzanne's abduction and we also learned that in june 2020 which was just weeks after suzanne disappeared barry purchased a two acre plot of land near salida so that's an interesting timing you know I guess two acres isn't a lot to hide a body if that's what his plan was but he did purchase that right after she disappeared Mm. Uh, November 2020 a private dive team joined the search for Suzanne they're called Adventures with Purpose they kept their search a secret because they said there may have been a risk to our team being in the area police also marked the six months that Suzanne had been missing with a fresh appeal They said, despite numerous searches, countless investigative interviews and hundreds of tips, the 49-year-old wife and mother remains missing. As investigators continue to focus on her social media presence and believe she kept in touch with friends she loved dearly, he he wanted to speak with anyone who had spoke with Suzanne on Facebook, Instagram, Voxer, FaceTime or WhatsApp to come forward if they haven't already been interviewed. Regardless of how insignificant you think the information may be or whether you think the investigation investigators are already aware of it. So in November uh, 2020 as well, Suzanne's father passed away. Gene Mormon was his name. Um, and there's an obituary online for him. And it lists, I'll just read out the bit about the family. It says, he's survived by three children, David and Debbie Mormon, a French lick. And, you know, it goes on and it says he was preceded in death by his parents, an infant brother, the mother of his children, his wife, Luanne, and missing and presumed dead daughter, Suzanne Morphew. So, you know, that gives you an indication that her family believes she is dead and that she didn't run away or anything like that. So after 2020, Suzanne's case went pretty quiet. We did learn that the two acres that we just spoke about in Salida were sold by Barry. He owned the land for only around eight months and he made a $15,000 loss on the property. So I'm interested to know. Yeah. It says that apparently um, cadaver dogs were taken too near the two acres and they did pick up the scent of human remains but they didn't find anything so maybe she was there and she's been moved or i don't know maybe he realized that was a terribly stupid plan and <laughs> bailed on it like- um and in march this year the Morph- morphew family home was sold after being on the market for around five months barry had originally listed it for 1.75 million and the sale price was 1.62 million the buyer of the home is listed as the Mountain Renewal, which is a limited liability company from Nevada. So I'm not entirely sure how your you know system works over there with buying and selling, but that's just a little interesting bit of information. Barry and Suzanne's names both appear as sellers on the deed, meaning money from the sale is likely to be transferred into a joint account. So that's, again, another interesting thing for me. Um, how is he able to sell a house? I'm assuming he probably has power of attorney for her. But, you know, how can he sell a house if she's missing and not able to agree to the sale? Goes back to the whole, like, declaring dead thing. Yeah, yeah. 
It was interesting. I mean, it's obviously a lie because it's coming from Barry's mouth. Um, that he said that they were selling the house because it's where the daughters thought she was abducted. So yeah. then, like, where does the bike riding? Yeah. Like, what do they think happened with the bike riding? Yeah, I, I think it's like a hole in that, his actually. own story. It's a bit of she a... She was abducted on the house. Then what? The alleged ab- abductor also took, the bike. took her bike and yeah. staged this bike falling off a cliff thing? Like, come on, Barry. <laughs> I um I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I know enough about their relationship to kind of make an informed or put forward an informed theory about what happened. I, I feel like he was likely, you know, allegedly involved, um, but I don't know if he planned it or if he snapped again. I, I, I feel like this is probably a snap thing. I don't feel like he probably planned it very well or, you know, didn't take long to plan it if he did. Um, but I don't know why. I, I, you know, I know with Julos, Jennifer and Fotis, that's kind of a bit more obvious because they were going through a divorce and, you know, all that type of thing. But maybe, maybe she wanted to leave. Who knows? I guess, again, we can just speculate all we want, but then maybe something happened and he just lost it. And, yeah. You know. It's hard to say, like, there's nothing, like, if he didn't act so weird after the fact and, like, so many things point him after the fact, there's really, like, no way that you would have, like, suspected him that we know of. It's not like there's, like, the family members being like, if anything happens to her, it was him, or, like, they've, he's beat her before. Like, it, nothing like that has come out, but... No. His behavior... Like, he does seem after like... After is very real, weird. A real douche. So if he was a, if he's a douche like that now, who's to know yeah. what he was like in the marriage? Like, I mean... I can't say because I've never been in this situation, but I feel like just the whole premise of like making a YouTube video play is very weird. Like just, <laughs> just go to the fucking news, go to the police. Yeah. Like it's a bit, it's a big case that a lot of media outlets have covered, but instead you're gonna be like, let me make a YouTube video myself <laughs> and edit it and post it myself. <laughs> um, so there's no real updates. It's still just kind of plodding along her case. I did see that the, sh- the sheriff said they've re- um, investigated over 1,300 tips, which is good, but I guess nothing has come of those tips so far. Um, hopefully something comes and there's some resolution in her case soon. She seemed like a very sweet and loving, you know, mother and friends, so it's interesting. It would be interesting to see what happened. It's sad in all these cases they had kids too. Yeah. Yeah, true. Very, and I know um, Suzanne's kids were a little bit older, but a lot of them had young kids, which is very sad. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's equally hard, but just like if it's harder for the older kids because they kind of understand it more, like are they suspicious of their dad? Like how do you trust him when it seems like he was involved versus like the younger kids where they might not really totally understand what's going on, but that kind of could make it more scary to them too because they're confused. Mm-hmm. There was a case here, Karen Rostevsky. It was a woman who was, we could have included her in this case, in this episode too, but she was missing for a long time in Victoria, in Australia. Anyway, her husband was arrested and charged, but they only had one child. They had one daughter and she was adamant that her dad wasn't involved and that even now that he's been arrested, you know, she was always talking about how she was supporting him and things like that. So it's, it's, um, I guess when you've lost one parent maybe you just cling to the other one and who knows what stories they're being told by their fathers you know well yeah you know your mother was abusive or your mother was you know whatever making kind of not painting the women who are missing and dead in the best light so I guess if if that's all you've got to go on yeah hard as a child to deal with that sad for them very sad 
But I think that's it for now for the Missing Wives series. Yep. Unfortunately, most of them are unresolved. So sorry to leave everyone unsatisfied without any closure. But, you know, that's just the way it is sometimes. Yep. Hopefully, if you haven't heard of these cases, now you can look and get into them and maybe maybe someone blog, knows you know, something. Tons of images and I'll put all the links to things that we've spoken about in the blog. So if you want to do a bit of a deep dive yourself into these cases, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like always, rate, review, subscribe, leave us a good review. It makes us so happy. Um, yeah. I forgot to mention this in the last episode. Someone left us a really nice review and it really does keep us motivated and keeps us wanting to do it just to know that at least some people out there are enjoying what we do because it is a lot of work so if you guys are liking it and are happy with it i'm happy to do it olivia is happy to do it so definitely leave us a review if you're liking it if you're not liking it don't just just stop listening (laughs) just i feel like it's so easy on the internet to be mean (laughs) like i know like it's so easy just to write you know you guys suck i hate your podcast but like it does, it's, you know, and it's also just as easy then to also be kind and to not do things like that. So that's like anyway. what they always say. People, a lot of times people only leave reviews when they're unhappy with something. Yeah. So they'll if you're never, happy with they'll it. They'll go out of their way if they're unhappy to write something. Whereas if yeah. they're fine with it, they'll be like, oh, it's fine. You know, it doesn't matter. But yeah. if you like this, please give us a review so that we can feel happy and bring a tear to my eye. <laughs> we really appreciate the kind reviews. Um, we've been bullied a lot recently because of the Facebook move. So we, we really need it. <laughs> <laughs> we really need a boost. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that's really it. Check out the blog for all the screenshots from these cases. Um, get some of your friends to listen, get them to review and yeah, we'll see you guys next episode. Then. Bye. Bye.